You're listening to the ETF Exchange, presented by On The Money with Dynamic Funds. Join us as we dive into the latest trends and investment strategies to help you navigate the ever-evolving landscape of ETFs. Welcome to ETF Exchange, presented by On The Money with Dynamic Funds. This series will explore the world of exchange-traded funds, where we break down complex financial concepts into easy-to-understand discussions. Join us as we dive into the latest trends, investment strategies, and expert interviews to help you navigate the ever-evolving landscape of ETFs. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just getting started, our goal is to provide valuable insights to help you make informed decisions and grow your wealth. Subscribe now for a deep dive into the exciting world of ETFs. Hello, Ron, and welcome to another episode of the ETF Exchange podcast. I'm Alan Green, your co-host. And hello, everyone. I'm Peter Tomyuk, your other co-host. It's great to be back for our second episode. Thanks, Peter. Last episode, we talked about what are ETFs and also discussed the evolution of ETFs over the past 30 plus years. Honestly, it was a bit of a, a history lesson, right? We touched on old James Bond movies and, and Roman gods and such like. So today, let's bring the conversation a little bit more up to date and discuss what we've been seeing in terms of ETF flows over the course of 2023. Now, first off, Peter, why should investors and our listeners care about ETF flows? Does history or ETF flow history really help us predict the future? You know, I think everyone's heard lines like, it's important to make informed investment decisions and follow the money. Well, analyzing flows is a way of checking on where the money is coming and going, and that can play a part in making informed investment decisions. It can really help with things like determining investor sentiment and just generally be a nice data point that one can use on top of all the other analysis one does when making investment decisions. You know, at the end of the day, Alan, the value of most financial securities are determined by supply and demand, which is money flow. But that being said, there's no such thing as a crystal ball when it comes to investing. If so, Alan, I think we'd be recording this from a tropical island. And uh, <laughs> since we're now in the middle of December, I think that could be pretty enticing, no? Well, I'm pretty partial to the Austrian Alps, actually, this time of year. <laughs> Bit of a skier. Fair enough. Fair enough to each their own. But Alan, you mentioned last week that you can now use ETFs as a vehicle to get access to virtually any asset class. And now that we're nearing $400 billion in ETF assets trading on Canadian exchanges, it means that there's a lot of insight that we can get from the flows that we're seeing here at home. And this being the last month of the calendar year, it's perfect timing to give a year-end review of what we've seen. But this can also get really complex because of how many different ETFs exist out there. So I think the goal today is to sift through the rubble and keep this high level and categorize flows into some broader and familiar categories with the hope of helping everyone listening in make sense of it. So I'm gonna get things started. So high level, as of the end of November, we had $38 billion of net inflows in the Canadian ETF industry. We still have one month to go, but from what I see, we should end up with more than the $35 billion that entered the industry last year and we'll probably have the second highest net inflows in the history of the Canadian ETF industry. The highest being in 2021, when we saw a whopping $53 billion of inflows. Now, the big difference this year versus that mammoth 2021 year is that fixed income ETFs 
are dominating the flows. And this is the second calendar year in a row that this has occurred. So Alan, a big reason why this has been happening has a lot to do with what you ended our last conversation talking about, and that's cash ETFs, more specifically high interest savings account ETFs have been dominating flows all year. Can you speak to us as to why you feel this has been the case and also discuss some of the recent regulatory developments that have occurred over the last month regarding those HISA ETFs? Yep, I definitely agree with that. 2023 was the year that cash is back. Now, one of the benefits of global banks increasing interest rates was that finally cash actually paid you return, right? Novel. Unlike the very dark days of the post-financial crisis, where in some cases, interest rates actually went negative. Although at the time, I guess I did like the idea of taking out a large mortgage that actually paid you to have the mortgage. It definitely kind of messed with your head at the time. But anyway, with the rate rises, ETF issuers are always quick to fill the product gap and launched ETFs that invested in bank deposits and in turn paid that interest return to the ETF investors. A simple yet super popular product with investors. And we went from zero to over 20 billion in assets very, very quickly. Now, the issue was that banks were treating the ETF deposits like stable and sticky bank deposits, thinking something like your checking account, right? And they pay above the overnight rate for those deposits. Now, that's great news for ETF investors, but it probably wasn't right. ETFs are daily and even intraday liquidity vehicles, right? We talked about that in the first pod. The ETF investors could sell and pull their money at any point, and that doesn't marry up to how banks were treating their deposits. So our friends at OSFI, that's the Canadian bank regulator, have come in and written a brand new set of rules for banks that are specifically designed for cash ETF deposits. Now, basically what these new rules mean is that banks have to treat ETF deposits if they could walk out the door at any point. Now, that's much more in line with how ETFs work and operate. Now, these new rules come into force in Jan 24, so we expect to see the cash ETF rates come down much more in line with where overnight rates are. Now, the industry estimates this to be around a 50 basis point or a half a percent drop in yields, and we'll keep an eye on where they actually land. Now, that's a fairly large drop and could prompt investors to redeploy some of this 20 billion capital in other areas of the market. Now, I think this could be a big trend in 2024. Now, back to you, Peter. Humble but return-paying cash hasn't been the only thing of interest in fixed income. What else has been going in bond land? No, you're absolutely right, Alan. I've seen a lot of evidence of something I call a barbell within fixed income flows. So we know that bonds and fixed income tend to have maturities and durations. So cash is considered to have zero duration. So that's one end of the barbell, the short end. I'm seeing a lot of evidence of flows going on the opposite end, which is longer duration, especially when looking at flows in the U.S. So these are ETFs that are holding longer-term bonds as their underlying portfolio. Now, I find this fascinating. I might be the only one, but I do find this fascinating. Now, I'm going to get a little fixed income 101 here. Bond prices have an inverse relationship with interest rates, meaning that when interest rates go up, bond prices go down and vice versa. Now, the degree of how much your bond prices change will be a function of duration. So if you have longer-term bond ETFs, the price of that ETF will be more sensitive to changes in interest rates. So I think we all know that rates have gone up dramatically in the last couple of years, primarily due to central banks adopting a rate-hiking policy. So these longer-duration ETFs have really felt a lot of pain. But now, 
we've been seeing flows going into this beaten up area of the market. Now, if I had to make a guess why, I would say it's due to a cohort of investors believing that rates are close to peaking and that central banks may pivot to a more dovish stance where they may be inclined to start reducing rates in the future. Central banks tend to lower rates as a tool when the economy is approaching or in a recessionary environment. Now, there's more to it than that, but keeping the discussion high level, it explains the contrarian rationale as to why we're seeing flows in that area of the market. So, Alan, I want to pivot a little and start talking about equities. I, I mentioned earlier that for second year in a row, equities have been seeing less flows in fixed income, which is a bit of an anomaly when looking at flows over the last decade. What do you attribute this to? Again, I think 2023 is a bit of an anomaly, right? It's a second calendar year where equity ETF flows will be substantially less in fixed income. And again, that's typically against what we see. Uh, now, ETF flows obviously mirror investment sentiment, right? And when you consider that most major equity markets are still down from the highs of two years ago, and there is, or maybe, I, I don't know, it depends on who you talk to, there's still fear of a looming recession. So I think those flows make sense, right? It was a bit gloomy out there, especially at the start of the year. Now, that being said, we are seeing some glimmers of light and potentially some green shoots of recovery in equity ETF flows. There have been some strong inflows within the space in recent weeks, and especially in the international equity space. As at the end of November, over half of all equity net inflows this year were into ETFs that invest in companies that trade outside of North America. Now, again, referencing the session, the first pod we did, we touched on how ETFs are that fantastic vehicle for investors to get access to markets that are less accessible to Canadian investors. Now, these flows show investors doing just that, using the ETF vehicle to deploy capital overseas easily, safely, and efficiently. Now, in addition to that, we had a stellar November equity rally. I think that was based on the market, assuming that central banks are done, rate rises are on pause for the time being, and we've seen or recently seen an emergence of flows into both US and Canadian equity ETFs. And I think it'll be interesting to definitely look out and see if that trend continues. And again, I think the other big thing we'll be watching is that if fixed income flows continue to outpace equity flows, as this trend is definitely an exception to the rule. So Peter, we've, I guess, talked about traditional, shall we say, asset classes in the ETF industry, which are stocks and bonds. What else have you seen out there? There has no doubt been an increase in alternative or specialty style ETFs. So I, I classify these ETFs as not being traditional stock or bond ETFs, but ETFs that may incorporate more sophisticated tools like hedging, leverage, alternative asset classes with a variety of goals that can range from enhancing income, protecting portfolios from downside market risk, and a whole variety of other things. Now, within this area of the market, there is no doubt that covered call or covered option strategies have been increasing in popularity. We're not only seeing this in the amount of assets raised, but also the amount of new products being created. There are now nearly 150 tickers of these type of ETFs trading on major Canadian exchanges. It almost feels like every month there are a handful of these products being created. That being said, these are strategies that are oriented towards generating high levels of income, oftentimes in a tax-efficient way. So it's perfectly understandable why they would interest investors. However, they can be complex. That's where it pays to have a financial advisor steering you in the right direction because it's extremely important to understand them fully before investing in them. 
And lastly, I know that cryptocurrency ETFs are of interest to some investors. And as of this time, Bitcoin is valued at above $40,000 after being below $20,000 for a while. So that's starting to regarner some interest. We've seen about a billion dollars enter the space this year, most of that very recently. Now, that's a drop in the bucket compared to 2021 when we saw about $7 billion enter that space. But one thing about crypto, the asset class itself can be volatile, and that tends to translate into some erratic flows. As of the end of November, cryptocurrency ETFs represented about $4 billion of the total $370 billion Canadian ETF industry, which is just a tad above 1% in total assets. Thanks, Peter. Definitely a lot going on in that space, and I think we'll touch on that in future pods. But with the time where it is, I'll say a few words to conclude this episode. First up, I personally always think it's very good and healthy to look back at flows and honestly spend some time reading the ETF tea leaves. It shows where we've been and, and really how folks are positioned. Now, a couple of things I took. One, firstly, it'd be very interesting to see if those strong fixed income flows continue, especially that barbelling, right? Cash and long duration. I'm curious to see how that evolves. And then secondly, what's going to happen in equities? It was definitely a light year overall. I think that matched sentiment, but we've definitely seen some of those green shoots of recovery and glimmers of positive momentum in the space. Now with that, we'll sign off. Now we are planning on being back in early January 24 to preview what we think will happen in 2024 with all things ETFs. Now I think we're actually going to put on some dinner and drink bets on these predictions, so stay tuned. And in the meantime, to all our listeners, a very happy holidays from all of us here at Dynamic. Try and take some time away from the markets if you can. Enjoy, relax, and we'll see you in 2024. Thanks, everyone. This audio has been prepared by 1832 Asset Management LP and is provided for information purposes only. Views expressed regarding a particular investment, economy, industry, or market sector should not be considered an indication of trading intent of any of the mutual funds managed by 1832 Asset Management LP. These views are not to be relied upon as investment advice, nor should they be considered a recommendation to buy or sell. These views are subject to change at any time based upon markets and other conditions, and we disclaim any responsibility to update such views. To the extent this audio contains information or data obtained from third-party sources, it is believed to be accurate and reliable as of the date of publication. But 1832 Asset Management LP does not guarantee its accuracy or reliability. Nothing in this document is or should be relied upon as a promise or representation as to the future. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments and ETFs. Please read the prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of return are the historical annual compound total returns including changes in unit values. And reinvestment of all distributions does not take into account sales, redemption or option changes or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. Mutual funds and ETFs are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated.